This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Get the champagne ready. The NBA Finals are here. Welcome to the NBA Finals. Let's raise our glasses and our rings to the two phenomenal teams left standing. My goodness! Here's the high-stakes action to thrilling moments we can't miss. He ties the game at the buzzer! And to crowning our next champion. Here's a toast to the NBA Finals. The 2024 NBA Finals, presented by U2TV, continue on ABC. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Live on the Beat. Tuesday night, about 9.01. We're getting started on time, not too fashionably late. Smart and Adam Smith, producer John. I think I prefer John B. better. I'm liking the Outer Banks vibe with John B. Um, but at any rate, a lot less stressful for me when John is on these shows. Ross, how you want to start this now? We talked about it off air. We're going. How are we going to figure out who gets to go first? <laughs> yeah, we're going to do um, everybody on this podcast. So producer John, myself, Adam Smith, and Tommy will get two minutes to rant on whatever they want to rant on concerning UNC football coming off the Notre Dame loss. Let's start. Tommy, you want to go first? You want me to go first? Uh, I'll defer to you to go first. Okay. So I'm this gonna start, is your idea. I'm going to start the timer here. You know, we're coming right out of, the, out of the gut here. So let's get a rant here. And I'm going to go right to you, Tommy. When it's over, you're going to follow me, then John, and then Adam. Adam's going to close it up. Stopwatch, two minutes. <clears throat> And go. Okay. UNC fell 45 – get the glasses off here – 45-32 to Notre Dame. Here's my issue. Macron made a lot of excuses in the postgame press conference. And everybody knows Notre Dame is good. They have the talent. It's time for him to kind of take a little bit of responsibility, I think, for the failures on the defense because it's been three or four years. The recruiting – the big thing is he is all about recruiting and how Notre Dame's out recruited them. And that's true. They have recruited a higher level, but the whole point is like, you've, you've had three or four years to get these recruits in and you have. So where is the disconnect? And he even mentioned that. And look, I don't want to like, this isn't some like fire Mac fire coordinators thing. I just think you got to, at some point you have to say, look, it is a development issue. Look, we are not practicing right. And here's why we're not practicing right. Here's the fundamental issue to why the defense is having massive issues. And he said it's not a trend because it was some, I mean, he just said it, but a trend is four games. I mean, a trend could be three games. I mean, four games is one third of the season. So take responsibility. And look, Mac does. And look, I don't think this might be a little hot take here. I don't think Gene Chizik is the issue. I think Gene Chizik is doing the best he can with what he has. I think it's an issue that started 2019 with the defense, and there's been a trend of bad coaching, bad development, and the players that should get better aren't. And that's the issue because you, you shouldn't be having the same mistakes. I just want some answers, and, and I think the players are taking responsibility. 
I think Rainbow Behasic, go and listen to his YouTube video today was great. I think Cedric Gray, Power Eccles, those guys are great. I'm looking at the time here. Um, and so we'll get way into more details, but I think it's the development issue. I think it's a development issue with these five stars and four stars and talented three stars that are making a mistake. And if you can't perform, you can't develop, then maybe you're missing on recruits and don't have the right players. Tommy, the floor is yours. All right. I'm going to follow up what you had to say. And, I, and I'm on – maybe I'll ask these questions myself in a couple of weeks. Uh, Notre Dame came in, and everybody knew the tight end was the best player on the team, without question. And nobody did anything to stop him during the day. Gene Chizik said in his postgame or his uh, weekly presser that they made some adjustments. Nobody followed up and said, just out of curiosity, what adjustments were made. Nobody said – Nobody asked Gene or questioned Gene about adjustments made to stop the run. They stayed in nickel 90% of the time, it seems like. They were in dime, Vahasic talked about, or Storm talked about at some point. So no known adjustments were made um, that it appeared on the field, so why not ask Gene Chizik the question, what did you do differently? That game's over with. They're not going to give Notre Dame extra tape. They just wore Carolina out. Second part, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Mac, about uh, – Ross about Mac taking responsibility. The offense and the defense have roughly the same talent level on this team, right? Star-wise. The offense is here. The defense is here. There's a disconnect. Where's the disconnect? Did all of these players just suddenly stink and not perform well while the offensive guys do? Where's the gap there and what's causing it? I think I have my take. Mike said, uh, ask him at the end of the season. I think we might have that opportunity if things keep going the way they are. And then let me talk about the fans just for a little bit. I catch 30 a, seconds, 30 seconds left. I catch a left. lot of grief about the fan, about how I get on Carolina fans. But I'm not going to do that right now. I'm going to talk about the fights in the stands. What are people doing fighting in the stands at football games? Give me a break. You've got – there's a game out there. If you want to strap it up and go play, go play. But you're fighting old people. You're cussing old people. You're attacking Notre Dame people. Notre Dame people are attacking Carolina. What in the hell is going on, people? Let's get real. It's a game being played on the field. And the most passionate I see Carolina football fans at times is wanting to fight the brother next door. John. Makes no sense. John Bowman. Bobby. Tommy, I love that. I think it's a great shirt as well from Tommy. Kind of fits, fits the mood. Stop wasting time. your time, John. <laughs> My take is focused on what I saw on Saturday in Keenan Stadium. I have been going to football games for a long time, specifically UNC football games. I have never seen a player swing at his own teammate in the way that Tony Grimes swung at Noah Taylor. I saw it with my own two eyes, and then I went to tweet about it. And I actually went and I deleted my tweet because I was like, it would be irresponsible to mischaracterize this if I didn't see it correctly. But I saw the follow-up tweets. I saw the post-game discussion. I like Bill Simmons. He, he does a segment called The Body Language Doctor. The Body Language Doctor does not like what he is seeing with this Carolina football team. There was some weird body language stuff going on, again, the Georgia State game. And then to have it culminate in one player taking a swing at another player uh, on, on the football field in front of your home fans is very weird to me. The body language doctor does not like what he is seeing there. And I know, Ross, you've talked about you know the player-led leadership on this team. There's a players-only meeting today, we learned in some of the press conferences. But a player-led team 
does not ha- a well-led team does not have players swinging at each other openly like that. And I am really curious to see how this plays out the rest of the season, whether they can get some of this stuff ironed out or whether this is going to continue to bubble up and bubble up. But the body language doctor, producer John, does not like what he is seeing. All right, Adam. This is going to be um, kind of a nerdy, detailed take. And I thought that, uh, amazingly, we don't rehearse these. So I thought that I was guessing that Ross and Tommy would go big picture defense uh, with this. So this is kind of going to be nuanced. Uh, I don't want to see Kobe Paysor disappear. And I, I know, I mean, I know I just trying to be different. So I, I, I didn't want to say the same thing everybody else said. Um, you know, here's a guy that had, I looked it up, 13 catches, 165 yards, two touchdowns against App State and Georgia State. I understand that Josh Downs is the best player on the team. I got it. He deservedly so. Uh, but if you look at what happened Saturday against Notre Dame offensively, and I, you know, I know I'm, I'm probably a moron for, for saying something about the offense and a hot take. Um, he had one target. Let's get him some more targets. I mean, I, I felt like J.J. Jones w- was still there. Gavin Blackwell was still there. They didn't catch nearly as many passes as they have been, but they were still targeted. And I get it. If Josh Downs is on the field, Kobe Pesor might not be. But I felt like him and Drake may, you know, developed a nice rapport. Uh, these are guys that are going to be around a long time. I understand what a balancing act it is to – uh, Phil Longo was talking about it the other day. Try to, to try to mix and match the snap counts and get people on the field and things of that nature. And you know, look, I understand Josh Downs needs to play and play a lot, but I just I would like to not see him before Ross and I talked about it in Boone, North Carolina. Uh, that day he had eight catches. I said, Ross, he's had one catch for his career before today. Um, I would not like to see him just disappear again. Also, uh, that's my Kobe Pesor. Ten seconds. Comment. Also, um, if you see me in the elevator at Keenan Stadium, (laughs) I have just filed the instant analysis. This stuff is hard to do. I know that I sound like an idiot, and it's a pretty cool job that we have. But if you see me and you're getting in off the third floor, and I have just filed a game story that I had to have done at the buzzer, and you see me carrying my computer – First of all, you don't know me like that. Don't tell me about how you edit something for me. I'm from Mebane, North Carolina. I'm 6'3". You don't want any of this. Uh, So, you know, thank you for reading. But, like, don't get so close to me and talk that close to my face. I don't like it, you know, even though you do have nice hair. So, anyway. What did the guy say to you again, Adam? I think it didn't go clearly through. He really wanted to edit what I had just written. Uh, (laughs) And he was – quite uh, passionate about that. It was just too close to me, Ross. Like, I mean, just really getting close to me. And um, they had had a nice time on the third floor wherever they were coming from. But again, you don't know me like that. Don't get in another man's face like that. You know, I'd have been like, when are, when are we going to get the game scoop? Come on, man. I need the game scoop like right now. <laughs> that is hilarious. Uh, you know, I, that was, that was kind of fun. That got the blood pumping a little bit. Yeah, got a yeah. little yeah. Got a little coffee going, uh, you know, ACDC music. Uh, idea, man. Well, so what we need you to do next time, Ross, is to keep score on your board behind us um, mm-hmm. and, and X's and checks when people are making good things. Let, let's talk a little bit about these press conferences. 
and I'll freely admit I haven't watched all the players I was trying to. Um, but you talking about Ray Vahasek. They talked about having a players-only meeting. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a little bit torn about the Grimes-Noah Taylor thing. And Adam, I, or John, I know what you think. And, Ross, I want to ask you about that. Mike seemed to enjoy it or, or at least talk good about it. Um, it was, it's not really a good look. Is it passion? Is it frustration? Is it a dude from Virginia coming? I think E.J. Wilson on In the Trenches mentioned, you know, this guy hasn't been there. Like like Adam said, you don't know me like that. <laughs> you know, it, where are we there, Ross? Cause- yeah, yeah, I mean, I think you're right to be torn because I, I agree there's two different ways to look at it. John, you know, producer John, you know, grew up in, East, grew up in Chapel Hill. You know, he's not about that life. Um, a little soft upbringing. Sometimes a player-led, if you have a player-led team, like that was leadership by Noah Taylor. That was uh, that was Noah Taylor holding uh, Tony Grimes accountable. Now, and, and I, Tony Grimes acted with passion. So if you want passion, you want people that care. I mean, that's two players that obviously care. They're expressing in different ways. Um, and obviously it's in front of, you know, 50,000 people. So it's not the best look uh, in terms of team chemistry. But Max thing, and I, what is what's Max supposed to say? He either bashes his players or he he spins it like the greatest politician in North Carolina and says it's a good thing that uh, they were showing passion and holding each other accountable. And look, Noah Taylor, like he has every right to, to kind of get Grimes in line for him for that penalty, which I thought was an offensive uh, face mask when I saw it. And that picture kind of justifies that. It was a late hit as well. Um, and so that's the two ways to look at it. Adam, do you have any thoughts on – on, on kind of that scuffle because um, you, you saw something at Georgia State too, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, my thing is, well, yes, at Georgia State, it appeared that Des Evans and, and Tony Grimes were having words there uh, after Georgia State had scored the 25 unanswered points to take the lead. Uh, anyway, There's a lot of stuff going on at that game in Atlanta, but that was one of the things that stood out was those two, those two guys at least talking, if not bickering. Uh, which I understand. My thing is, we don't know what was said between Tony and Noah in that in that brief little dust up. Like, I don't know, you know, we don't know who was right, who was wrong, if either one of them was right. I tried to ask Cedric Gray, as you know, Ross, after the game, if, if Noah Taylor was right for checking Tony Grimes in that situation. And he said mm-hmm. he was going to have no comment on that, uh, which I respect. That's totally Cedric Gray's right to do. Um, but... And also, just a little uh, peek into how the sausage is made, we tried to uh, request Tony Grimes and Noah Taylor today for interviews. Uh, neither of them were available for interviews today. Um, so that's, that's, that is what it, what it is, you know. I asked Storm Duck uh, just about Tony and why he seems to get in some of these dust-ups. And um, Storm Duck said Tony Grimes is just one of the most competitive people he's ever met. And he cares a lot, and he's fired up. And he wants to win. And we all know that Tony is a good talker, you know? Like, so I don't know. I don't know how to – Ross is right. It wasn't a good look. And for, for, for people like us that are watching the games and trying to observe everything, it was, it was emblematic of the frustration when you see it boil over like that. I do get a chance to respond here after Ross called out my East Chapel Hill High School upbringing. Um, <laughs> but I also sort of view it from that accountability <laughs> perspective. I think in that moment, again, this is a little bit of reading from outside the situation, but mm-hmm. from in that moment, that was Noah Taylor holding Tony Grimes accountable. 
And it's interesting that it was Noah Taylor as well, because Noah Taylor is a player who came from outside the UNC football culture that has been culminated, that has been percolating the last two to three seasons. And I think Noah Taylor is someone who comes off to me as someone who's very professional and sort of matter of fact. And he's probably displeased, as every other UNC football player is, with the performance of the defense. And I think he was frustrated in that moment. And I hear that. That's a good point about Tony Grimes being very competitive. It's not my intention to slander anyone. But I just think that's sort of emblematic of the perhaps warring cultures within the UNC football defense right now. Um, But it's also tough. I mean, this is a defense that is basically the worst defense in the Power Five when you look at a lot of statistics. So there's going to be finger pointing and, and emotions that come into play when you're performing that poorly. What did Noah Taylor say in his introductory press conference coming from Virginia? Go back and watch it. He said, reference Carolina being soft. <laughs> yeah. You know, he said, I came from Virginia. Um, they had a reputation of being soft and, and this and that. So maybe it all plays into account. You prefer – I love seeing – player-led stuff right that is where butch got in trouble there was no player-led stuff before he brought in all these big timers and maybe that's what's going on now uh the question is the the deal is there if you're going to have player leaders you also have to have player followers for it to work and there has to be a hierarchy and i'm not quite sure this team has that right now i'm not quite sure quite frankly if the coaching staff has that right now i know mac is in charge uh, but if, if Mac is going to Chiswick, and let's talk about this, and Adam, I'll come to you first on this point. Mac's going to Chiswick and saying, come on, man, you know, what are we doing? What are we doing? Well, this is four games in a row. That question could be asked. And then he goes to Longo, and he says, you know, why aren't we running it on first down or, or running it better and all that? Well, these issues have – these aren't new issues to Notre Dame. You know, if it were just Notre Dame, hey, Notre Dame's good. Those boys are studs. They're big boys and they're studs. But it's been an issue every single game they've played this year, Adam. Where's that accountability? They want player accountability, right? Do your job. Where's coaching accountability? Well, here's what I – a thought that occurred to me as you were saying that about Mac going, let's say, to Gene Chizik and saying, hey, man, what's going on here? I mean, that's a patented Mac answer. That's a go-to Mac move. Um, he used to say that about Jay Bateman all the time. Um, you know, like if they had been shredded uh, like they were a couple times last year, it was a, that's a Mac move to get to say, yeah, hey, I went to him. We had a hard, hard conversation. I want to know what's going on. And I actually said to Mac uh, Monday when he was saying that, I said, did you get a satisfactory answer? Mm-hmm. Um and Mac said he did, of course. You know, like it's a, it's like a knock knock joke with Mac in a situation like this. You know, knock knock, who's there? Here's the answer. Um, so, like, yeah, I, I hear you on that, Tommy, on the accountability on all fronts. Um, you know, uh, I mean, defensively, I don't think I think they're putting who they think are their best players out there. One of the questions I've had is. Is this just a thing where your players aren't fitting your scheme? There's some sort of thing that just isn't happening within the scheme that you need to have happen that isn't happening, won't happen, can't happen with these guys. Like, what is that specifically there? I don't know if Ross can add to that. Yeah, I mean, spot Ross. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I think the blitz and and, and how they're dropping to coverage when they're getting you know dropping seven when they're getting a run all over like. 
And if the blitzes aren't hitting, like then you, it's no, no point in blitzing and, and things like that. I think there's slight schematic changes, but pretty much everyone's running similar schemes. So I don't think it's much of a scheme thing. I think it's scheme scheme tweaks. But I think you got to put pressure on the quarterback more, and you got to sell out to stop the run. I mean, it was a great point by Jeff Schottmer on calling the shots. It's like do one thing well, and we're not doing any, UNC's not doing anything well. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna be this big this team that drops seven and plays great pass coverage and play really good pass coverage and make that your, your strength. Ultimately you have to stop the run. They're not doing that. So they've got to find a disconnect and stop the run. I don't know if you, you play Travis Shaw more, you play, um, you know, you put bigger bodies in and move Javari Ritzy to end. Uh, Raven Hasek talked about a big issue against Notre Dame was, was setting the edge. So there's no, uh, Raven Hasek was a little bit more revealing in kind of some of the issues. You know, obviously gap integrity is, is the, the main core reason whenever, um, your run defense is not good, but I don't know. It's just like we've talked about this so much now, and all the press conferences have been all about the run defense. It's just a matter of going out, doing it, and being more physical, and and having that mentality, which obviously they don't have right now. Um, I don't, I don't know if it's it's benching certain people in favor of other guys, but um, I think you got to put a little bit more pressure on the quarterback and maybe bring in some sort of heavier lineup to stop the run against good running teams like. I think Notre Dame ran the ball 12 times at one point and got 35 first downs. Yeah, first time. 12, 12 carries, 75 yards, and a touchdown. Yeah, and so at that point, it's like, all right, man, let's, let's put Travis Shaw at middle linebacker. Like, do something. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's just it's super frustrating. And that's that's what all coaches saying. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. I mean, obviously, it's just like hard to – there's no answers, and that's why it's hard to talk about. Well, here's what gets me, and I'll bring this up with Staples and Barnes, and I should have brought it up. Staples also said in the game, in the day after podcast, find something that you can do well and then do mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Put those guys in zero coverage. Let Grimes and Duck in zero coverage and and put eight in the box and, and force them to do something other than what they were doing. They were doing anything they want. But here's where I think the issue lies. And uh, who said it? Derek Owens said it in the chat. The defense started out. The game swatting balls and blitzing, and then they just quit. Now I don't, I don't follow it close enough to know how many times they blitz. They blitz more this game, but they did have a couple of bat downs early in those first couple of drives. But it always seems to me, Ross and Adam, when I'm listening to these press conferences, is, hey, we had a great quarter against Georgia State. What we're doing works. It worked in the fourth quarter against Georgia State. Okay, we had a great quarter. Uh, second and third quarter against App State, it works. See, we know what we're doing right is work because it worked then. Uh, the first quarter against Notre Dame, we know what we're doing right, it worked then. You know, and, and then I so, feel like that's the justification for not changing anything. Yeah. Well, it's consistent. Is there a justification for not changing anything? You're right. So it's consistency, right? And that's, a, that's just an easy coach speak word. It's just consistency and, and doing it for four quarters, right? Doing it every play, eleven players doing the right thing. Um, I don't know. I yeah, think that's should... one thing we hear a lot. Is like you can, you, you know, we'll have ten guys doing the right thing, and one guy sticking his head in the wrong gap, one guy putting his foot in the wrong place, and you know, that gummit, the whole house of cards just falls in. You know, like that's 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 and what we've we heard, hear. and we've heard it a lot. And it's like there, you would think somewhere. I get it. You know, if one guy does, if you're playing a good team, and one guy does the wrong thing, they're going to make you pay. But you would think at some point the talent level that they've acquired can cover that up. You know, it's not going to cover up Cam Kelly with his eyeballs on the cheese, like Jason pointed out in the video, um, while the slot receiver runs straight past him. It's not going to cover that up. Um, but at some point, there needs to be some 
some ways to hide some of these things. And I just don't think there's any, there hasn't been anything they've done to hide any deficiencies. How about this one? Uh, it, in terms of like lowering your expectations, you know, Max said the other day, Hey, we we're pretty much ranked at the bottom of the FBS in total defense. And that's where we're going to finish the season. Uh, yeah, I'm picking on Mac for that, but I was kind of like that gum Mac. Uh, and he was saying that because the numbers have been bad and they are, man, if you look, I was telling Ross today, if you look at the numbers in the ACC, it's jarring. Like uh, the Carolina defense has given up seven more touchdowns than anyone in the, any defense in the league, including Georgia Tech. Um, I, I'm glad we brought up Mac because there's one more point I wanted to make around defense, accountability, and Mac Brown. Because there was one other moment that was key from the second half of Saturday's game. The two-minute format didn't allow me to, to bring it up, so I want to bring it up here. But was that not the most animated you've seen Mac in responding to a penalty call in his three years in Chapel Hill? If not, it's top five. It's right up there. And I think that also is emblematic a little bit of the defensive culture. Jason Staples talks a lot about how teams take on the persona of their head coach, and that's something that uh, I think we saw a little bit there. Mac Brown was in in some ways you could say he was firing up his team. His team needed a spark. They needed something, or you could say he was complaining a little bit. He was complaining about the refs. He was frustrated. He wasn't taking responsibility himself with his football team, but he was sort of pointing the finger at those ACC refs, who we all know are very bad. But that's <laughs> one more point I wanted to bring up there around defense and accountability. That was another big moment from Saturday's game. All right. Let, let me ask y'all, did you see this? And I don't know what it showed on the, the uh, TV tape, but obviously we were in the stadium. Uh, Mac argued and argued and argued, and then they got him off the field. And then he came back out and started arguing more. And I don't know if it was Power Eccles and Cedric Gray or whatever, but two players were trying to wave him off the field. Like, come on, we got to play. Get on off and we got this taken care of. I thought that was interesting. And I have no idea what it showed on TV. Um, but, yeah, he had every right to be fired up. Uh, but, you know, it ain't going to change the call. Um, and I about rather get him – I about rather him end up watching the game up in his office after that um, if he's going to go all out on yeah, that. But. Yeah, he got his money's worth. And, and he said it was supporting his players. I think they appreciate him supporting him in that thing. And, you know, we remember it was only, only one yard. So, That's the point I was going to make. I, I don't, it, was the, I don't, it was the first down, though. It was the yeah. the fact that it reset the downs, and That's it true. was it virtually assured it being a touchdown. Right, but I mean, it was going to be first and goal from the from the one anyway because of the penalty, and uh, or first and goal from the two or whatever it was. Oh yeah, 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 you're and right. His uh, his, the, the pass interference, and so Max said, "Yeah, it only cost us a yard." You know, like, yeah, yeah, he's right on that. The pass interference cost him the first down, but yeah, I mean, I. We're gonna have a. There's a lot broader discussions we can, that can be had, maybe a little bit later in the season. But Max gonna have some tough decisions to make if, if things start, if keep going the way they're going to. I think. And I don't know. Let's, uh, Ross. You want to do your your read? And I'll do mine. Can you do giant T-shirt? I'll handle JTS. All right. This podcast on the beat also brought to you by Blue Shark Vodka. We appreciate Connor Barth for supporting Inside Carolina, uh, locally owned in Wrightsville Beach. Carolina sweet corn, very accessible. People always, you know, I'm walking by tailgates on Saturday. They always show me their blue shark vodka. So the word's getting out. Uh, it's available in all 100 counties. Blue shark vodka. They got some new bottles too. I was at the ABC store recently, and they have a couple different sizes of bottles. 
Check them out. Support local. Support Inside Carolina by supporting them. It helps bring all these podcasts, what, six, seven podcasts a week, you know, almost all year. Blue Shark Vodka. Check out their Instagram page and their website. Learn about what they're doing. Um, it's a very smooth, accessible, great spirit. Blue Shark Vodka. Tommy? Johnny T-shirt. JohnnyT-shirt.com are the uh, that are great sponsors of this podcast. I clearly don't have a JTS shirt on today, but Buck Sanders – and uh, beautiful Trish had one on uh, in the bowls lot, and it's that fabulous uh, soft cotton stuff. It's not like this old uh, counterfeit uh, concert tee that you can get in the parking lot of the shows, but it's the great comforting stuff. You know, they've got the sweatshirts, Ross, you're a big crew neck sweatshirt guy. They've got all those, anything you could want Carolina-related for any school you went to at Carolina, whether it's journalism, pharmacy, or if you just want basketball, football, baseball gear, women's soccer, anything, Johnny T-shirt and – the best part about it is if you're a premium subscriber here, you get that 10% off your everyday order. And it matters, especially when you order like $300 of stuff, you get 30 bucks off. Can't beat it. You can use that 30 bucks on what? Some of that Blue Shark. It is Johnny T-Shirt and Blue Shark Vodka sponsoring Inside Carolina podcast. Take a short break for the national guys to pay the bills on the audio. We'll come back with some questions, some reader or watcher, or listener questions from the YouTube chat. I'm Tommy Ashley, Ross, Adam, John. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, boys, it is 928 on the East Coast. As Buck Sanders likes to say, we have plucked the feathers off the press conference. Let's get into some questions. John B., I'll let you take over the questions, um, and we'll see what we can do. There's a lot of them. And Slagle, I'm going to start charging you by the question, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. What a what a what a great listener, a great fan. Yes, Absolutely, a core core member here. I want to bring up a question here from friend of the program, Michael. He says, "Do you think UNC's recruiting pitch to four and five stars have come here, and you'll have a chance to play immediately?" Has backfired. It's kind of an interesting question about uh, related to the defense. I'm going to hide it because it's so big. But thoughts uh, for yeah. the team. That's actually a great question, and that's something we could easily talk about on the scoop tomorrow. Recording at 7.30 a.m. tomorrow, Adam. I know you'll be counting sheep around then, too. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, you can obviously uh, – I think winning helps recruiting. And so, obviously, you have a, a bad season in 2021, 6-7 with a, a bowl loss. That That's going to slow down recruiting a little bit because everybody's recruiting against you. Everybody's saying things to the recruits and you have another season where things aren't going well. Now look, this team is three and one. They could easily roll off three or four straight wins here. And you're looking at six and one, I mean, five and one, or they could easily lose a couple too. We don't know this team. So you can definitely pitch some playing time at certain positions. You can definitely um, a pitch, you know, um, I, I think you can look at it two different ways. I know I'm not even a very clear answer, but it's hard right now at three and one to, to say that the season's done. But I think you can look at the defense and you can tell some recruits, hey, look, man, there is a opening spot at safety in, in one year. Like we're losing both these guys. 
you know, there's opening spots on the offensive line. So there are some spots. Um, and I think this thing is important to remember. Drake May is a quarterback. And players like playing for a good quarterback. And when you see uh, Marion Hampton, George Petaway, and, and Drake May at the core, you're going to have some offensive linemen want to block for him. You're going to have some wide receivers that want to throw uh, and catch passes from one of the greatest quarterbacks in college football right now. And you want running backs that want to play for him too. So that's important to remember as well. Five-star guys, four and, high four and five-star guys don't worry about competition. They're going to come in and compete. Now, if they get on, on campus and then don't play, then you, you got transfer issues. But I don't think – and I think the question is – John, throw the question back up there. I can find it. Uh, is it a mentality thing for um, guys to come in and say, well, I'm going to play anyway. I don't have to – I don't want to compete. I, I, don't, I don't see that. If you get to be that level – uh, in, in a sport, you want to compete and you want to compete against the best. What they don't want to do, and to Ross's point about winning, is they don't want to come and be on a team that sucks. They don't want to come in and lose and get their head beat in and, and play on a defense that's the worst in the thing. So you've got to show some improvement. Most importantly, you got to show some development. Yeah, and, and, that's what I was going to say. And, yeah. Am I going to get better yeah. when I go here? Because – if I come in as a freshman and I'm no better as a junior or I'm worse, therein lies the problem with recruiting. And and other teams will eat you alive on the recruiting shelf for that fact. Yeah, so Tony Grant, go ahead, Adam. Where's Keyshawn Silver? Like, you know, Ross and I were talking about this a little bit. I mean, I just think some of these guys uh, that were highly recruited, I'm definitely not a recruiting expert like Ross is. I, you know, you see what he does on signing day. The man's a machine. Also, by the way, Ross, I'll be in the middle school drop-off line at 7.30 tomorrow if you'd like to see me over there with some uh, tea and crumpets or whatever it is, uh, uh, some kombucha or whatever. Uh, um, kombucha, man. Anyway. What are you talking about, man? Tea and crumpets? Anyway, did you say the season isn't over yet? They, they could win the ACC championship. Like, they haven't played a game yet. Hey, I don't think the season's over. Um, anyway, where, I mean, like, where are some of these guys? Like, where are some of these guys that were so yeah. highly rated? Is Tony Grimes overrated? Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, five-star Tony Grimes, who who enrolled early to speed up his process to get the NFL, supposed to, you know, come in, play three seasons, be a, a first-round pick, second-round pick. I'm not sure that's happening right now. Um, Adam, your point, I mean, Silver's a redshirt freshman. Like, these guys, it takes a little bit of time for the big boys to develop. KJ, I see KJ uh, Binkley Jones. Mac slaughters his name every time he says it, so it, it's affected me already. He's been injured his whole career; like he hasn't played much. Um, but a guy like uh, Javari Ritzy or Travis Shaw or Desmond Evans, they came up very highly ranked. And look, everybody's not gonna make the NFL, but you would hope you know those guys could get drafted with how high they ranked they came in. So you would you would hope some development happens there. And right now, you're not you're not seeing them get much better, I guess, on, on paper in the games. Who knows what NFL teams look for? You know, maybe they, you see Desmond Evans, like, man, that guy's a freak athlete, freak size. We don't care what he did in college. We can see that he has some talent. Who knows? I think uh, Desmond Evans is a good point because, like, good gosh, you know, where are some of these guys? I mean, I mean, God bless Ra Ra, but like, you know, they put him in there on some of those third down packages. I just see him running into getting blocked. seems like he can just, whenever he takes off, wherever he goes, he's going to get blocked. He never comes free. He's just finding other bodies to get their hands on it and not get off of them. I, I, look, recruiting is the lifeblood of a program. 
but player development is as important. And Tyler Woods has mentioned things in chat, and I'm not going to shout them out because they're pretty obvious. There needs to be a serious look, especially on defense or mostly on defense, about the player development on this team. To Ross's point, KBJ and Silver, those guys have to develop. They, they're, they're not totally in shape. There's other issues going on there, whether it's COVID years or or that or whatnot or injuries. But the bottom line is, Tony Grimes was fantastic in the Orange Bowl against Texas A&M, who was a top five team. And what has he done since? He had an interception against Miami. I guess it was that same year. And is that Tony Grimes's issue? Or is that his coach's issue? I don't know. That's the question. Um, it's an interesting question. And, well, and I think quarterbacks, they've been coached two different ways now. Yeah. Jay Bateman's defense, they were press coverage. If you listen to calling the shots again, they played press coverage the majority of the time. Look, I don't – the X knows stuff. I don't, I don't have the eye for that. But now they're playing off. So it's two different techniques they're having to, to learn and, and a, different, a little bit different schemes too. But the difference between press and playing off, that's vastly different and a huge part of cornerbacks. So they're being having to adjust to these different um, types of ways of playing the position. And it all starts at the line with how they're handling the wide receiver. To yep. add to that, uh, the coaches thought that the cornerback group played their best game of the season against Notre Dame. They were recognized as they don't give out players of the game after a loss, but they recognized Ray Vohasek and the cornerbacks as having, I guess, the best games on the defense. And Storm Duck told us today that he thought – you know, Notre Dame was probably his best individual game that he has played so far um, this season. Uh, so maybe there's a turner, uh, corner turn there. We'll I see. see. I see some stuff in the chat um, about player development. You look at teams like Wake Forest, uh, Appalachian State. Like they're not recruiting anywhere close to UNC or or um, or Notre Dame or anything like that. And Wake Forest has been competitive every single year because they develop players. They redshirt. They redshirt. And by the time they're juniors, seniors, redshirt seniors. They're very, very good, and that's just a different way to approach it. And App State, too. I mean, App State's been able to compete with UNC, with Texas A&M, and they're, they're recruiting two stars and three stars and developing them. So it, it is recruiting, but it is development. It's finding the right players and, and building a culture of, of winning and development, all those good things. Wake is unbelievable with player development. They're unbelievable with it because Ross is right. They play – Wake – when – Carolina plays Wake later this year in November. Look at the look at the two deep. It's always red shirt junior, red shirt senior, senior whoever. Those guys are always old and experienced. I don't know if they're like super supremely talented, like who Clemson and FSU are rolling out there. But Wake is always old and and like Ross said, they, they I think they do a tremendous job with player development there. Yeah, and, but and a lot of people want to say Wake and those teams have benefited from this COVID year. Wake's been doing this forever. And I'm not just talking about Wake. It's other teams that do it. They've always been old. You know, they'll have some young guys popping in there once in a while. But Wake has always had an old football team. And they've always been good. And, and I promise you, I'll take a three-star, sixth, uh, fifth-year senior over a five-star uh, 18-year-old every day of the week. And you saw that when you saw App State play at Texas A&M. And people can talk about the JMU game. The horseshoe fell out their butts. Um, App State butts, but they manhandled Texas A&M, and that says a lot. They were up, App was up twenty eight three on JMU. I think App is exhausted. Think about the seasons they've had. UNC was their season opener. <laughs> like, I mean, it's been wild and woolly since they kicked off. You know, like yeah. I mean, it's they're they. I think they're exhausted. They could use two bye weeks probably up in there. That was a, that's a wild and woolly reference there, John. 
I didn't know that one. I have a perfect question, though, for Adam and for Ross. Is there any talk of moving this week's game due to the hurricane? <laughs> Adam, Adam's going to be our hurricane guy this week. I've, I've given him that task. As not, if you talk, not if you ask anybody at Carolina there, is it? Uh, we, so some of the answers we got today were um, it's only supposed to be 12-mile-an-hour winds on Saturday, and uh, the rain is supposed to be less than an inch. So, no, don't worry about it. Everything's fine. Um, no, I mean, I mean, obviously they're having those discussions. They better dang well be having those discussions. Um, you know, I don't know what you can do with the game moving it laterally, moving it up. I, I, I doubt they would move it up, but I could be completely wrong. Um, you are seeing some teams move some games. South Carolina and South Carolina State have moved a game. Obviously, Florida, it looks like they're going to get hit really hard. Um, but I think – I think uh, the UNC athletic angle is hoping the storm won't be that bad and hoping the storm won't get here uh, by the time kickoff does. We all remember what happened in 2016. Uh, and I can remember old Lawrence Fedora uh, saying we couldn't throw and we couldn't catch, you know, and uh, I believe they lost 34 to three to Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech. That and, the lead up, and the lead up to that game was the exact same words that the powers that'll be are saying then. Hopefully it won't be that bad. And I think I heard Bubba say, well, the storm changed on us in 2016. <laughs> I, I mean, play the football game. If you can't <laughs> – Let's go. I, I mean, and just sit out, play it. it. I did hear somebody say they might play it without fans. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Here's a uh, bad I mean, thing to do, though. Drake May's a pretty good player. And, uh, you know, what does a hurricane do to lessen Carolina's passing attack? You know, like, I mean, um, it could be a problem. I have no doubt. That, you, you, you absolutely better bet that Virginia Tech's going to do everything they can for it not to be turned. They did that in 16. And Trubisky looked like he'd never played football before. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, they play the game on Saturday at 3.30. I tell you what, the game, the Clemson State game, I don't know if y'all remember, I think it's when Dabo really turned it on. It poured. I think Clemson played Notre Dame, and that's the bring-your-own-guts game. Dabo's post-game. Go YouTube that and look at that post-game uh, press conference or interview on the field. Play the football game. If they can't beat Virginia Tech in the rain – then what are we doing here? Because Virginia Tech is not good. But you, you you think Virginia Tech wants it to be messy like this, like yeah, yeah so, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I yeah, I'm, yeah. They, I feel like the it, the sloppier it gets, the more it helps Virginia Tech. Yeah, he loves the slop. He love he lives in the slop. He was born in the slop. I got the next question here. By the way, I went to that 2016 game oh. in my bathing suit because it was just raining the whole time. So I was like, I'm just gonna wear my bathing suit. Ross. One thing to add. One thing to add. Uh, we're going to ask Mac about the 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 Hurricane Ian effect on the game tomorrow during the 10 a.m. press conference. So we'll get an answer from Mac, which is probably going to be an answer from Bubba and the UNC officials tomorrow press conference at 10 a.m. Mac will say, you know, you're going to have to ask Bubba and Rick Steinbacher about that. That's what he'll say. <laughs> this question is from Mark Williams. He asks, "Isn't Mac right about the talent deficit along the offensive line? After all, we are currently starting." two transfers any perspective there maybe this year a little bit but there's three guys in the day going nfl from last year and how good was the offensive line last year when did he say there was a talent deficit in the line did he say that i think he was referring to the fact that in the trenches Notre Dame had a bunch of four and yeah. five stars and unc didn't have that on the offensive line yeah 
And they're too deep, Max said, Notre Dame in the trenches. That's the point he always wants to make. They come in too deep. But, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, Ross has gotten some good answers about this because it was Ross last week, you know, where William, we were talking to William Barnes, and he told us, uh, William Barnes said, you know, I've been starting at right tackle with Spencer Rowland working back from injury. Then we get up there in the press box Saturday before the Notre Dame, Notre Dame game. Who's at right tackle? Spencer Rowland. Um, so it was kind of like, okay, what's happened? And then we were talking to Awesome Richards today, and Awesome Richards told Ross because Ross was following up about it. Uh, yeah, that, that kind of happened at the end of last week because William was out there at right tackle. I feel like the right side of the line has been an issue. And, yeah, you do have uh, a grad transfer over there. But everyone, by all accounts, thinks Corey Gaynor has been an excellent addition at center. Um, he apparently, you know, we've heard from Ray Vohasek uh, a couple weeks ago about just the leadership that he brings and uh, that he, Ray said he thought, while there was a lot of talent on the offensive line last year, that they just lacked a leader. They didn't have that unifying voice or that guy, the lead dog that was sort of taking the reins and leading them. So I think Corey Gaynor has been an excellent addition, maybe probably for Drake May too. You know, you got to think that he's helping him there. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll take it from here. I mean, like, I don't think the O-line is a, is a big issue. Yes, they did not. They got manhandled in the run game versus Notre Dame. But, dude, those defense line were huge, and they were running four and four out. I don't think you're going to face a defensive line that close to that this season. Uh, I think you feel good about the improvements. I think Austin Richards is having a great season, like Adam said. Corey Gaynor, um, you know, they've, I think, improved given the fact they've lost three starters. Um, and UNC's been pretty good running the ball overall, I think. Uh, and they've been really good at protecting Drake May overall. What is it? They've only had nine sacks, some stat, nine sacks that Max said compared to, what, like 19 last year or 17, 17. last year? Yeah, so I, I don't think the O-line is a, a big concern. Now, recruiting, I would – I say this a lot on the Scoop podcast featuring Don Callahan – that I would like to see a higher level of recruit um, at the offensive line. I feel like that's one area UNC has not recruited um, as strongly – even look at this uh, incoming you know, class, the 2023 class. It's not anybody that's even close to ranked uh, within the two, top 200. Zach Rice, it's promising, but it takes five. Uh, it takes a village, not not one guy. And I think he's going to be good when, when he gets his chance. I think that – I could be wrong about this, but I have to wonder if they're going to be dipping in the transfer portal every offseason for offensive linemen because of what we're talking about. You know, you need to be an older guy who's stronger and developed and you necessarily can't – be a true freshman coming in there and making the impact that they want you to make. I wonder if, you know, offensive line and safety are going to be two areas where they're just dipping in the transfer portal, especially this offseason or maybe every offseason. I don't know. That's, that's a great point. I'm almost of the point where you, you take 15, 18 kids and use uh, in the class and use the rest for transfers. Like, it is a different world now. If you can get them in, I know you and got a little bit stricter standards in some schools. You can get them in, man. Take a third-year guy that maybe is on the two deep at Clemson or or, or you know, Alabama or somewhere that's a former four or five-star guy. Get him in, and, and he can you know, hopefully at least provide depth or start for you. You see the success of Taylor, Corey Gaynor. Um, those guys have been uh, – Raven Hassock's been a great transfer. Instead of hoping a, a redshirt freshman or a freshman can be that stud corner, go get a senior. Go get a guy that really wants to prove it for the NFL draft. Same thing for offensive line, defense line safety instead of hoping and recruiting and wasting a scholarship on a, a freshman scrub go get a transfer like it's mm -hmm. a different world that's the new recruiting and you've got to embrace it or you get left behind i mean it's just ironic that unc flipped an ecu commit days after getting whooped by Notre Dame. i mean what are we doing 
hundred percent. Yeah, I think the portal is the way to go. I mean, look at Alabama. Alabama goes and poaches the best, you know, Georgia Tech's best running back, mm-hmm. and they and they do that stuff often. Uh, somebody, y'all just posted uh, Corey Gaynor's run grade sixty three point two. Uh, you know, the world is transfers now, so Carolina has to take advantage of that, and they need to figure out how to get them in school. I mean, I, I know some guys that got in school when I was there. I mean, times I'm probably one of them, but uh, you know. Times have changed, but good gracious, it can't be that difficult. What you got, John? What other questions we got on here? Yeah, we're getting a lot of really great questions. I do want a quick plug as well. Make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel. We want more subscribers. Uh, so this is a good question here. John Sink asks, if the game is won in the trenches, are we losing the battle on both sides of the ball, especially the defensive side? Dot, dot, dot. Is it a strength and conditioning issue? That was something that was really emphasized with with earlier strength and conditioning coordinators for UNC. Brian Hess, do you think he's doing a job? Does he get any of the blame here? Man, Brian Hess was in the parking lot of Kenyon Football Center when I was walking out of there earlier this evening. I would not like to say a bad word about that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he he lives a nice nod, you know? Yeah, he lives, uh, he lives less than a mile from me, so I'm not going to say anything. About, okay. I don't, we don't know, dude. I'm not – I have no idea what goes on in that weight room. How about Max comment about he told hey, – I told Hess, nah, get your hands off me or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mac, whatever, buddy. Anyway, I, go ahead, Ross. Sorry. I, I mean, dude, I don't – at some point when you're getting manhandled repeatedly, 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 you'd have to look at that. But I don't know if we're at that point. Um. So, it is above it, my pay grade. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't, I don't, I mean, if I was in there every time and I compared it to what Oregon was doing, compared to what Florida was doing, compared to every other program, maybe I would have a, a general idea, but that would take, you know, about two seasons and a, and a lot of, uh, a lot of flights. <laughs> maybe I'll ask Jason that on Thursday. Tune in to the, to the podcast on yeah, Thursday yeah. night, nine o'clock. Ross, how's your PT going? You got your shoulder, right? Yeah, I am. That's great. Thank you, John, for asking. I am deep into PT, slings off, been running. I got good mobility. I got my band right here, so I'm doing exercises. Shout out ATI Physical Therapy, my physical therapist, Mindy Kim. I go there 7 a.m. Mondays and Wednesdays. So if you want to, I guess, I should really give out where I'm going to be. There's a lot of crazies out there. But uh, it's been good, man. I'm, I'm getting back. Hopefully I can do some, you know, get back in the push-ups and, and lifting here in a, in a couple, in a month or two. Thanks for asking. I'll tell you what, it has not affected my ability to do my job. Wow, the man the man is not without bravado. I agree with you though. Y'all been solid in press conferences. Shout out, and somebody said it over here on the chat. Shout out to the questions. Only thing I would like to see is follow that up with the question. Oh yeah, we did some things different for Michael Mayer, and he kind of left it out there. Ross, next question is: What'd you do differently? What specifically yeah. did you do differently? You put hey, DeAndre hey. Boykins on him. That, yeah. that, that, yeah. Will Hardy on him. Yeah, One thing I would say about – I mean, I think this is a, actually an interesting conversation. This is on the beat. People want us to ask the tough questions. I saw it on Twitter all during the game. People want to ask tough questions. Tell us on the boards. And we'd, we'd love to. You have to think about how Mac's going to answer each question before you ask it. He's going he's gonna to say, say things that – he's going to have an answer that doesn't suffice. And, and, look, that's his right. And you can push him a little bit, and you can ask a follow-up. So it's – uh, Adam, you've been in this game longer than I have. Like asking tough questions, it, it's you, you got to do it, and there's a way to do it right. Um, 
it's just you want us to ask these crazy questions like, when are you going to fire Gene Chizik? Like, you can't ask that. So, Adam, how would you take that question about how to ask the tough questions after a game like that, uh, after the game and then on the Monday? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's a great topic, Ross. And, yeah, like somebody wants us to go in there or asks us to go in there and say, you know, why isn't Gene Chizik fired? You got to be – are you a grown-up? What are you talking about? You know, are you that stupid? Uh, you know, like uh, I saw somebody say something like, why don't you go lob Mac some softballs? Okay, sure, buddy. Um, you know, it, it – we have fun here. I love this job. We all love the job. But, I mean, there's a journalistic integrity that you have to have with this. You just can't go in there guns blazing, demanding answers. And, Tommy, we, we I mean, we're trying for you, buddy. You know, like you're talking about, you know, asking Chiswick the follow-ups. You know, there's a lot of things that are happening that you're trying to think of. And, you, and what, for Ross and I, what we have to do is we have to live with these people all season long. And you don't want to – piss them off to where they think that you're just out to get them all the time because we're not out to get you. We're just out to try to cover the, the team the best we can. And it's a delicate balance. Uh, I think that we have asked some very good and very tough questions of these guys. And I, I, I do think Gene walked away from the podium the other day and said, that was a really good question to me. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I was surprised that he said that because I was basically saying, do you need to, change up what you're doing and get some other guys in there in terms of personnel um so, so, so i'll say this i think i made a great point about that we have to you know we're, we're with mac for the next um you know what 10 weeks or whatever and, for as long as he's there as the head coach yeah and so hopefully you build some rapport and respect but ask i mean i don't think i think they appreciate tough questions that are yeah. asked in the right way um and so and then i think they they know and the thing is mac and chiswick they know the job. They right. weren't reporters like us, but they understand. They've been in this game way too long. Dude, they've coached at places where it's a lot tougher media. They've asked. They've been asking a lot tougher questions at Texas, I'm sure, and at Auburn, uh, I'm sure. So they, it's not. We're not going to say anything that's going to get under their skin. But you also don't want to be an asshole, and you don't want to get the reputation. Like I feel like I, I have to kind of, I, I toe that line, especially how loose I get on some podcasts. So I have to be in Twitter. I have to be careful of not being um, that guy in press conferences as well. But I also want to do my job and, and ask those questions. And I feel like we've done we've done pretty good. It's just I mean, the, the defense thing is tough because they don't have answers. Like, dude, if they had answers, they'd be fixed. So you're asking how to fix run defense, and it's like, look, everybody's got to do their job. We've got to practice. We got to get better. So like, that's not a that's an answer that's not gonna make everybody happy. But that's what they're gonna say. And so you have to ask more pointed questions. I think. You know, hey, Chizik, what have you thought about maybe blitzing a little bit more? Like, what's your philosophy on blitzing? Like, you bring four, it's not getting there. You bring a fifth person, it's not getting there. How does that switch things up? Um, things like that. So, I don't know. It, it, it's Look, I'll tell you one thing. Adam will love this. I took zero journalism classes. I was taught in the school of the hard knocks. So, dude, every, every experience, uh, every experience for me, I'm, I've been – I had to teach myself this whole, whole thing. You know, so – uh, look to the hey, point man. you guys are making there and your point about don't be an asshole is the baseline right you can ask a tough question guys can respect the tough questions but you can't go in there and be an ass you just can't because a because you need the respect of who you're dealing with and you need to respect them but you also need to respect your colleagues and i'm gonna give you props y'all both props this week and this season really 
everybody wants to fire off these crazy questions to your point, Ross, is, is that what do you think my, Roy Williams would say all the time? If I knew how to fix it, it'd be fixed already. You know, they're not going to say, oh, yeah, well, Gene sucked today. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure why. He, you know, it's just not going to – there's a line and there's a balance. Um, and, and you guys, quite frankly, and all the media really have done their best to dig into them. But Mac and Gene have played the game longer than anybody out here has. And they know very well how to play the media game. Um, and very rarely – when you catch those guys being completely candid, you might off the record, uh, but in that setting, it's not going to happen as much. And, you know, I've, I've seen people, people will tweet at me or tell me, tell Ross to ask this and that. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, we'll do our best. So anyway, this is where we get a little bit looser in the podcast and we talk about stuff. Um, but yeah, there, there's a line to keep in mind is like after a game, I feel like, uh, everybody's minds are scrambled. And yeah. sometimes, um, yeah, I, I just feel like you have to, to uh, have the right touch on what you ask a player or a coach after a loss like Notre Dame where everyone is pissed, everyone is frustrated, they just got it shoved down their throats. Um, I feel like you have to have the right touch because guess what? You're coming back on Monday, you're coming back on Tuesday, you come back on Wednesday, and you're talking to them again. Um, so, uh, yeah. My feeling uh, being right there in the in the seat. That's exactly right. Like I feel like I had so many things go through my mind on, on Saturday and on Sunday and even on Monday. But then like Tuesday, you kind of take a step back. You've heard from Chiswick, you've heard from Longo, you've heard from Mac, and you, your mind kind of rationalizes a little bit better, and you kind of hear their perspective and the players' perspective. And so you step back, and you're like, you know, it's you're still three and one. Um, the offense has been great. So you're kind of like, and and, and then Mac's great at spinning it, and he's great at. Oh yeah, he's, he's great at kind of like getting the buy-in, um, and so you do cool down. I think as, as media and as fans, you can kind of cool down and, and you you take a more rational view at it. Like firing Chizik is not the answer. Like who's going to lead the defense? Like you can't you, you can't lose coaches. You, you want to coach them better. Like firing a position coach. Like look, I know a lot of people want certain position coaches fired. But you got to think about like who's going to lead that group. Like they have responsibilities. Like they there's a defensive. They're on the radio. Like there is certain roles these coaches play in game that obviously other people could probably learn how to do. But it's just like it's tough. Um, at three and one. At three and one. I understand yeah. it's been a roller coaster to get there. But at three and one, you're going to fire a coach or a position coach. How's that going to you know? How's that going to look in the football coaching community when you're trying to hire his replacement? Uh, it's going to look fairly absurd. Let point. me ask you a question before we get out of here. It's been on the beat uh, live on Tuesday night. It's almost 10 o'clock. Ross, let me ask you a question. Somebody put it in thing. Bull Hill. Bull Hill likes to come in all, every week, and I appreciate him being here. Mac feels pressure. Does he? Can you tell a difference in, in how he's uh, interacted with you guys? This is a D <laughs> question that involves a lot of decision makers. I, I think he feels a responsibility. I think he does. I think he is starting to feel some pressure from some people that make decisions at UNC. I don't think it's necessarily from the athletic director side point. I think it's from, from big money donors. I think there is some pressure after last season and then how the defense looks this season. I, I certainly think he doesn't want to, he doesn't go out on this note. He doesn't want to get fired or be asked to step down after, after going six and seven and then whatever happens this year. So I think there is a responsibility 
to turn this around. And he is certainly feeling – look, Chizik's feeling that too. Chizik was like, look, this is my responsibility to turn this around. I get paid a lot of money. This is my job. So they're, they definitely feel pressure. I, I do think Mac is, is pretty secure, whether you like that or not, whether any of us like that or not. I think he's pretty secure in his position right now. Because um, a lot of people – I text with a lot of people. I have a lot of friends that are Rams Club, a lot of friends that are dire fans. There is a point, like, who could you get better that does what Mac does? This is a broader, broader discussion. Like, Mac does a lot of things that are really, really good for the program. And I'll just kind of leave it at that. I think there do need to be some decisions made in the offseason. And so we'll see. I don't know. But yeah, he, I think he does feel some pressure with how the defense looks. Look, the offense looks great. The offense is awesome. So, Adam? I think that – well, it, just to add on to what you're saying, Ross, yes, I, Mac is the CEO of the program. Phil Longo runs the offense. Gene Chizik runs the defense. Mac is in charge of it all. He's the figurehead. He's the mouthpiece. He's the face. Uh, he's shaking the hands of uh, the Rams club. He's kissing the babies. Uh, it's Mac Brown. Uh, you know, like, but I, I just think I, a comment by Casey Ayers in the, in the chat over here just made me think, yeah, Drake May is on pace for 64 touchdown passes. I don't think he'll throw 64 this season, but I think that if I can make a prediction before October comes, I think everyone's just going to have to buckle up because uh, I think that it's going to be uh, – Carolina's going to have to outscore a lot of teams. And I do think they can improve on defense. Obviously, they can. They can't get much worse. Uh, they're, you know, only Nebraska is worse uh, in terms of power five teams defensively, as you've seen us right. Um, but I think this offense is going to get even better with Josh Downs and Antoine Greenback. And I think they're going to settle in on some running backs. I think Drake May's only going to get better. What happens with the defense? God only knows. I don't think Virginia Tech has Michael Vick at quarterback. Um, and I don't think Miami has Michael Irvin at wide out. Uh, but I think it's going to be an adventure. I think this ACC is going to be an adventure. They don't call it Coastal Chaos for nothing. And uh, I think everybody's just going to have to, you know, if you're winning games 42-35, I think you're going to have to be pleased about it. Yeah, that's a good place to, to close as well, Adam, because I was looking at the preseason prediction pod. Eight out of eight Inside Carolina experts expected UNC to lose to Notre Dame. And seven out of eight predicted UNC to have a 3-1 and one record at this point in the season. So you can say, you know, obviously the defense perhaps hasn't been what anyone expected, but UNC is right on pace in terms of what the inside Carolina experts predicted at the beginning of the season. So there's a whole lot of season left. There's a whole lot of ways this could go. And I think next Saturday against Virginia Tech, that will tell us a lot about how the rest of the season will go. Ross and Tommy, any final thoughts here? I'm good. You good, Adam? If you can get the, they got a second by October twenty second. You know you've got Virginia Tech, Miami, and Duke before then. Mm-hmm. And you could have, if you're Carolina, I don't see how you, you you could feel like you beat all those teams. And then you got Pitt, Wake, and State coming after that second by. So I'm almost more worried about Duke than the other two games. Yeah, I mean, you're right? Duke's Duke's somewhat legit this year. Is that right? Duke? I mean, uh, I don't know if that matters. Said, it's going to be an adventure <laughs> yeah. to get there. <laughs> At Duke, people rag on Wallace Way. I love going to games over there, man. You can walk around and just chill and see it from any way. It's been On The Beat Live. It's 10.02 on the East Coast. We're going to wrap it up here. Adam Smith, Ross Martin, John Bowman, the producer. As always, shout out to our 235 
iron clad on the beat listeners watchers viewers uh, johnny t-shirt and johnny t-shirt.com blue shark vodka sponsors join us thursday night nine o'clock for the game plan podcast will we be game planning a swamp fest mm. or we will be game planning a game on a different day if i have my money i bet it's 3 30 on saturday in the swamp of kenya stadium ross adam john appreciate it fellas Welcome in to Calling the Shots, presented by Blue Shark Vodka. We're recording live here on Sunday night after UNC's loss to Notre Dame, falling 45-32 to the Irish on Saturday in Chapel Hill. If you're watching on YouTube, you see a special guest with Jeff Schottmer. We also have Keenan legend, former UNC quarterback, Bryn Renner. Bryn, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me, Ross. Jeff, thanks for letting me be on the show, man. Hey, True honor right there. Brother. Hey, it's an honor's all mine. Keenan legend. No. Hey, that, that warms, my warms my heart. Warms my heart, bro. Warms my heart. <laughs> we have uh, we have a lot to talk to. Kind of got three different uh, eras of, of UNC football here. I, I graduated in 08, and then Bryn came in in 09, and then Jeff Schottmer came in, what, 2011, 12? Yeah. And 15. 12. So we have the, we have the 2000s covered right here. Obviously, I did not play. Um, all right, we got a lot to talk about, boys. Um, first of all, off the top, Blue Shark Vodka. Shout out Connor Barth. Get Blue Shark Vodka. I saw a lot of people drinking it uh, at the Notre Dame game in the tailgate scene. So, UNC falls to Notre Dame. Uh, I fall to 3-1. and one. It was pretty ugly, I thought. I'm going to get these guys' thoughts off the top. I'm going to give the floor to Jeff. Jeff Schomer's fresh off watching the tape. I'm going to give him the floor to kind of give us initial thoughts. We're going to go from there. We're going to get everything from the defensive issues uh, to offensive play calling to the run game um, and dive really into it here on Calling the Shots. Jeff, the floor is you on what you saw for UNC. Um, and, yeah, take it from there. It, it was tough to watch. Um, you know, I, the, the game opens up in the first quarter, and we we hold them to zero points in the first quarter. And I was I was – you know, very optimistic of where we were going, how we were playing. Our offense looked good. Uh, we got a couple stops, a couple three and outs on defense. Um, and then once again, the in inconsistencies show up. So the second quarter comes around and they score 24 points, right? W when it rains on our defense, it pours, right? It's, it's just we can't stop the bleeding, right? We during The run game, they were running it up and down our throat, Uh Throw game, right? If, if they run and pass for nearly 300 yards, that's not that's not a not a good look, right? I, I just don't think we are doing one thing well right now in terms of, you know, we aren't stopping the run, we aren't stopping the throw game, we're not creating negative plays, we're not getting turnovers, right? I think the best defenses hang their hat on one specific thing, and I can't figure out for our defense what we're really good at. So that, that's the overarching thing is there's not one thing on defense that we can hang our hat on and say we're doing well. Yeah, Notre Dame ran for 287 yards, 576 total yards, and they had a, a 35 first down. I mean, when they were gashing the UNC defense, UNC couldn't stop them. From your initial diagnosis, what was the major issue with the run defense? The run defense is just the physicality of the offensive line versus our defensive line. That's where it ultimately starts. You know, Notre Dame is always known for having offensive line talent. You know, they put a bunch of guys in the NFL. Um, they usually have two or three, 
you know, big tight ends that, you know, usually play in the NFL as well. And they've always, you know, had great running backs. The Tyree kid, I know he's a, you know, he's, he's fast, but the, the other kid was the bruiser. I think he was a sophomore. Uh, he was a good player, but we, we just got pushed around up front. That that's what it boils down to. Our defensive line was off. Notre Dame's offensive line was reestablishing a line of scrimmage, right? They were, they were pushing our guys back two, three yards. Our pad level was high. We did have some misfits, but you know, they were creating holes that the running back would just navigate and find. And, you know, it just, it, I don't even think it wasn't scheme related. It was just we got out out physical. Yeah, and Mac Brown said that a lot in the post game press conference. He blamed it a lot on just Notre Dame being better, Notre Dame having better players, better recruiting, and that showed on the uh, the offensive line, defense line. I want to bring in Bryn here. Um, and obviously, your quarterback, you've coached quarterbacks, wide receivers, etc. From an offensive standpoint, with what UNC did, what did you take away from how they played and what things stood out to you from the offense on Saturday against Notre Dame? Yeah, I, I think the first thing that was concerning for me, obviously the first drive of the game was was fantastic. Uh, we went down the field, scored, um, had positive you know yards on first and second down. Um, I, but I think we, we kind of lost our identity um, of first and second down success plays. And when I, when I say that, I mean, okay, can we get two or three yards or four yards or five yards and make it a manageable second down or a third down? Um, I think we were six of 14 on third down. Um, that's a little bit under 50%. And we just didn't put ourselves in situations on first and second down to convert. And like Jeff mentioned, I, I, I do think it starts up front. Uh, just being at the game, Notre Dame was bigger than us. Um, but you have to generate an identity during the week, what running plays can we execute? Uh, Our running backs are fantastic. They really are. And and I think if you saw the first three weeks, when we run the ball, we're very effective throwing the ball. And we're putting a lot on Drake. Uh, I think Drake was our leading rusher uh, in the game. Uh, I think he had 36 yards rushing. But, um, you know, I think, Ross, to answer your question, I think that was the first thing I saw. First and second down success plays. Yeah, and just getting to the rushing here. I mean, Drake May led with 13 carries. Obviously, some of those are sacks for 36 yards. Amar and Hampton, 10 carries for 28 yards. That's 2.8 yards per carry. And then, like, not much else. You know, DJ Jones, Caleb Hood, pretty much non-existent. Petaway, two carries for negative two yards. So, it was the worst game from the rushing attack. Total, uh, let's see here, 66 rush yards. So, it wasn't just that UNC couldn't stop the run. They couldn't run the ball either. And that's a recipe for disaster. I want to go back. So, all right, Bryn, with play calling, what would you like to see from UNC when they can't run the ball? When you're having, um, you're not having success in, in series after series running the ball, what could happen in a situation where Phil Longo, offense coordinator, and Drake May can get more creative in how they get the ball to the playmakers and things that do work? Well, I think first I always preface it with this. I, I'm not at practice every day, and I was a former coach, and so was Jeff. And I think, you know, the hardest thing in the world is to call plays. So I don't want to ever, you know, think that I know something more than, than anybody else. And I think Longo has done a, a phenomenal job all year of scoring plays. I mean, scoring has not been an issue for our program, um, in my opinion. But with saying that, I think, you know, if you can't establish the running game, you have to throw it on first and second down with the, the short uh, slant out hitch theory. Um, and when I say that is, is, okay, let's get the ball out of his hands quick. The quick passing game, throw some stick routes. I thought Notre Dame did a really good job in Tommy Reese calling plays on first and second down, getting the ball out of, out of the young quarterback's hands quick. 
Um, they lost their quarterback early in the year, and they've kind of made some adjustments on the offensive side of the ball. But, you know, to answer your question, Ross, I think first and second down, let's let's get positive yards throwing it on the perimeter. Uh, we have guys in space. I don't think we targeted Josh Downs enough. Yeah. I don't know his health. Um, obviously, you know, I, I don't know what the significance of the injury was. Um, but I think he can be targeted more, not running 40 yards down the field to, to get targeted. Um, are sometimes I, I, I truly do feel like, you know, Drake holds onto the ball because we do run deeper routes and, and maybe, you know, that that's, that's what Phil, Phil likes to do. But, you know, I think just getting the ball out of Drake's hands early on first and second down, if you can't establish a running game, especially when you get down, uh, some scores in the game, uh, you know, I think we were down by 18 points or 14 points at, at one time. And obviously, you know, where you are on the field kind of dictates that as well, but, you know, just kind of short, quick. You know, the quick passing game, three-step drops, uh, and, and things like that would probably help. Yeah, and you have one of the best wide receivers in the country, Josh Downs. He was targeted five times. He caught five passes for 32 yards. I agree with what you said, kind of getting him the ball in different ways, even in, in the backfield, on some jet sweeps, you know, in the flat, let him, you know, make a guy miss and go from there. All right, Jeff, let's get back into the defense. Um, I mean, where to start? The physicality. Obviously, Notre Dame's offensive line, just overpowered and over physical um, UNC's defense line linebackers. Like, so what, what do you say? Like, what does Mac say? What does Jesus say to the media, to fans when that happens? Is it just, I mean, you can't just throw your hands up. So how do you kind of answer those questions when you could talk about physicality and then recruiting better with better players? I mean, we'll start with the physicality piece of it, right? Um, th there were times in the game, I, you know, we had a couple of third and fourth down stops where, you know, it was quarterback sneak and, and big Travis Shaw was in there clogging up the middle and, and we showed great physicality there. But the majority of the game on first and second down design runs, you know, we were getting knocked off the ball. So whether that goes back to technique, you know, we have talents like Ray Vahasic, Miles Murphy. They're very talented players and we'll get shots in the NFL to play. But is it is it pad level? Is it aggressiveness? Is it hand placement? Is it footwork? All those come into play with D linemen. And I'm not seeing that from all of them at, at the majority of the game, you know. I mean, the, so the, go ahead. Go ahead. So, like, what, I mean, if you're not seeing that stuff now, is that is that coaching and development? I mean, it, it boils down to it. Yeah, we, we we have to we have to coach them better. At the end of the day, I mean, the players do have to make the plays, but we we have to be very critical of their footwork, their hand placement. It's not just, especially when you're playing at a school like Notre Dame. They're as well coached of a team as you'll find. And they've always mm -hmm. been like that, even back to Brian Kelly, you know, when he was coaching them. But, you know, it, it, there's the, the the room for error versus when you're playing a team like Notre Dame is so slim. You you have to take perfect steps, perfect hand placement. And 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 it showed because we were getting pushed around. Yeah, another thing I would ask is, like, this is what we thought was going to be the strength of the defense. You know, like the defensive line, we were pumped. And we talked about it for the yeah. season, Jeff, like, all these guys, Miles Murphy, Ray Bahasic, uh Travis Shaw, um, you know, four and five stars rolling them in and out. And you talked about how the depth is there. And then now it seems like it's almost a weakness. There, there's not penetration. We're not getting any – UNC's not getting any TFLs or sacks. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Like, it's just bizarre how what we expected hasn't come to fruition so far this season. So here's also what I want to talk about is – and I alluded to it earlier, right? I, there's not one thing that we're doing right now that we're hanging our hat on. Okay. So we're playing a lot of too high defense. We play a lot of, you know, bracket coverage where we have two safeties that are deep, right? So if, if you're going to play that coverage, 
you're probably going to be light against the run. Okay, but your your pass defense should be great because you've got more guys in coverage. And the thing that's worrying to me is we're playing all this all this coverage, but we're but teams are still throwing the ball against us too. Yeah. And, and I don't want to take it back to when I played, but when I played in 2015, we played a lot of the same coverages, bracket coverage that Coach Chizik and Coach Warren run. And we were we were bad against the run. We gave up 150 plus a game, but our pass defense was top 10 in the country. So look, with Coach Chizik's defense, we're going to give you something, but we, we got to take away something as well. And, and what I'm not seeing from our defense is, you know, they're they're allowing teams to run on them and throw on them. We're getting beat both ways, and you can't do that, especially if we're not going to. You know, we create. We had one sack. We had two or three TFLs. You know, we're not creating enough pressure on the quarterback. So, you know, we we got a bunch of issues, and and we didn't we didn't tackle well either. Yeah. So. Yeah. Brent, is there anything you want to add about the defense and what you saw? Like when you're looking at this team and Notre Dame running the ball, running the ball, hitting Michael Mayer, like what stood out to you as the core issues with this defense? Anything different from what Jeff said that stood out to you? Well, I think, you know, I coached DBs for two years. And I think, you know, being on the defense side of the ball, and Jeff really helped me out through this process, um, there's going to be adversity when you play defense. You are going to give up big plays. But responding to that adversity in a positive manner is something that I think that we need to improve on. Look, we got the fourth down pass interference call. We all know that was not pass interference. And the referees were the referees. You have no control over that. But responding to that play positively and going forward is something that really good teams do, right? The negative adversity you face in a game, especially on defense, the offenses are too good now to, to stop them for four quarters. You're not going to, you know, you rarely shut out a team. But can you give up enough points to be successful and put yourself in position to go make a play? And I think Jeff talked about this when we were off air, you know, forcing turnovers. I can't remember the last time we got an interception or a fumble recovery and changed the momentum of a game. Um, and really the physicality part that we, that we started this conversation with um, and the toughness. I was very fortunate to be on a really good defensive teams. Probably our defense when, when I was in school was probably better than our offense at times, and I'm man enough to admit that. And, you know, we won games 14 to 10, and they would come off the sideline like, hey, when are you going to score points? And I think – and that's an honest thing. Jeff knows that. And, you know, when you have a – you know, when one side of the ball is having success and the other is not, it puts pressure on that other side of the ball. So you got to step up in critical situations, especially in critical games – you know, when, when, when we're playing actual competition, that is very, very good. Yeah, it's complimentary football. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, one thing I'd like to add to that is you know, there's sudden change, like momentum plays, right? When Drake fumbles the ball, you know, to start the third quarter and, and, uh, and Notre Dame gets the ball in our territory, you know, with the short field, that's when a defense has to go out and hold them to a field goal, right? It's not the defense's fault that the offense fumbled. But, right, you have to put your best foot forward and, and hold them to a, a field goal in that situation. And we're not playing good situational football. And, and we talked about the middle eight before in the other games, right? The middle eight in this game was was terrible. We, we were outscored 17 to, 17 to zero in the middle eight. And, and the one, the one uh, you know, part of the game we talked about, you know, prior to this podcast was when um, Notre Dame scores with two minutes to go. Our offense gets the ball back. We go three and out, take 15 seconds of time off the clock. Notre Dame doesn't have to waste a timeout. They get the ball back and then go down and kick a field goal. 
So it's just it's bad. It's bad management. And that I would put that one on, on the coaches. Right. They got to help our team out. You know, if, if Notre Dame's got some momentum, we got to we got to do everything I, we can to keep our offense on the field, on the field, take some time off the clock and, and slow the game down. Yeah. All right. When we come back, I'm going to ask Brent about cornerbacks. I, I forgot you coach cornerbacks. Uh, was that you? You. Uh, where did you coach? You. That's you. I was at right? Florida International. Florida International. FIU. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I'm going to ask about cornerbacks and secondary because I just think the talent's there at cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. And, but the, I don't, I'm concerned about the safeties. I think there's like just some issues with the, the secondary. So we're getting to that. More on defense, some broader questions on this season and the future of the program. But first, I want to talk to you about Blue Shark Vodka. Talk to uh, Connor in the Bell Tower tailgate with his parents. Blue Shark Vodka, the smoothest vodka in the world. Right out of uh, Wrightsville. North Carolina, smooth Carolina sweet corn. Blue Shark Vodka goes well with anything. Get a bottle at your local ABC store in North Carolina, available in all 100 counties. He was telling me they're opening in San Diego. I think they're in Las yeah. Vegas. Uh, yeah, there you go. Brent Renner, San Diego nat- native. Cor- um, Coronado. Coronado. Get it at Coronado. I'll be there. Open it on Tuesday. <laughs> He'll sign the bottle for you, too. No, nope, won't do go. that. Yeah, a bottle and a shot. Uh, it, it's smooth. It, it's it's an accessible price point. You're helping out an independent company, a local independent company. You always like to support local companies like Blue Shark Vodka and like Inside Carolina. Appreciate them for their support. All right, I feel like we've got a lot more to talk about. It's like so overwhelming because you cover this game and everything. Shots are fired. And you're reading the message boards and you're you got friends texting you. The group chats lit. Um, and so just a lot in the process when you're when a game like this goes down and, and you know, I have people calling for coaches next and all this stuff. So you're trying to process everything that's going here. We teased it. Um, first, Bryn, cornerbacks in the secondary. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't play press coverage. And, and you're getting a lot of crossing routes. You're, they're playing at zone at time. What have you seen from the cornerbacks um, so far across four games that you like, that you don't like, um, just from your perspective, having coached that position? Yeah, I, I think, you know, and, and I think Dre – does a great job coaching the corners and and he he was a phenomenal player in his own right and i think the hardest thing and i always said this when i coached the corners of what what gave me challenges as the, as the quarterback and yep. you know I, I used my quarterback experience to coach the dbs and the biggest thing was press you know the the physicality at the line of scrimmage you know you you only have three seconds to throw and we we were very you know disciplined with our press technique and and, and it helped the pass rush if you did press Right, because if if you press a guy at the line of scrimmage and and you help your defensive line generate a little bit of push by doing that, and you know you're facing a team that, that is pressing, it's a it's going to be a long four quarters. And I think we do have the the talent uh, at the cornerback position to press a little bit more and generate some more opportunities to make it harder on the on the receivers. I don't think Notre Dame was overly talented at receiver. I think we were probably better. We matched up better than on the outside. And I think Tony Grimes is one of the best DBs in the country. And I think if he, we can neutralize that and play a little bit more press, it'll help. But, um, you know, I think the secondary, I think we're talented. I think we're, you know, we're kind of young and, and inexperienced in some spots. Um, but but in doing that, you've got to play physical, especially on the outside of the corner position. Jeff, how, how does the press fit into to the scheme that, or however Chizik likes to, to use his corners, fit into what Chizik likes to do with his schemes and different coverages? I mean, he said in the interviews prior, like he he likes his cornerbacks playing off. Um, 
And it's just it's just a difference in philosophy from last year because no matter what coverage we were playing last year with Coach Bateman, whether we were playing three match, we were playing cover two, cover one, any any of that, we were always pressed and made everything look the same. Um, and I just thought it fit their skill sets better because Tony Tony Grimes is long. He's got long arms. And, and what, do, what do receivers hate when you impede their release at the line of scrimmage, right? Storm Dunk is a physical corner. He's over 200 pounds. Let's, let's have him put his hands on people. That, that's just my opinion. And I think, you know, when we're, when we're playing off, we're just we're not getting it in, in good situations and we're not staying in phase with the receivers well. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not I'm not there in all the meetings, so I, I don't know what's, yeah. being, what's being taught. But the, the thing is, you see flashes of, of, of our DBs and, and all of our defense playing well at times, but we're just so inconsistent right now. Um, yeah. But I don't know. How would you have covered Michael Mayer? Like, if you're the defensive coordinator, what do you do to scheme up against an NFL-level tight end? Because, I mean, he was just every – he was wide open. He was so big, such a big target. And then you get yards after catch. It seems so easy. He knew where it was going, and he was so successful making plays. I th- I mean, first of all, that guy's a stud. He's a first-round pick. He is, he's, he's one of the best tight ends I've seen in a long time. So give him, give him credit. And there's only so much you can do to stop him. But I personally think – that with a guy like that, you have to get up in his face and get physical with him, right? You have to get chippy. Whether you, whether you put Cedric Gray on him, I think you throw mm-hmm. different matchups at him, right? Maybe maybe you put a, a a bigger you know defensive end to chip him at the line of scrimmage when he's in line, right? Bully him up so impede his release from the line of scrimmage, and then you have a secondary member you know playing six or eight yards off of him. Or you could walk a linebacker like Cedric Gray, who's tall and long and fast and athletic, to to throw a different look at him. Um, you know, if, if, if we have a nickelback covering him who's 5'11", 180, you know, that's a mismatch. Obviously, you know, Cedric Gray, I think, would be the best matchup on him, but I don't think he was on him very much. The the Will Hardy, the freshman, yep. you know, DB, he's a bigger body, but you can't ask a true freshman that doesn't – he plays, you know, six to ten plays a game to, to cover one-on-one against a, an All-American tight end. Anything to add there, Brent? Yeah, I think, you know, seeing him up, up close in person – you know, the mayor kid, I mean, unbelievably, like, he is the Gronk of college football right now. And, you know, I think Jeff said it perfect. You know, you can put a six technique up on him if he's on the line of scrimmage and, and, and bully him and try to just impede his release. So treat him just as a receiver and, and don't let him get off the line of scrimmage easy. Um, you know, he was having free releases at, at, at times. And I know he caught the touchdown. He was wide open. You have to go into the game and, like Jeff said, bracket him. Or, or have an identity that they're going to target him. And how can we stop him from making plays to beat us? I think that's one thing that I learned in my coaching careers. Who are the players that are going to get touches on the offensive side of the ball that we cannot have beat us? Let's have someone else beat us that has to have a career day. Well, Mayer was that guy for them, especially when their offensive identity coming into this game was not that 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 critical. And they had a new quarterback. So you have to go into a, to a game with, we are stopping 87 at all costs. We're going to follow him. We're going to beat him up. And he's going to have a long four quarters. And I, I just don't think we, we had an identity to do that. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I, I think he's a, he's a heck of a player and a really talented, talented kid, especially seeing him up close. It, it seems to just all go back to the, the lack of identity on defense and the lack of physicality. Um, like Jeff said at the top, like they're not – 
you have his quarterback coming in for, for Notre Dame, and you know he's not that great. But we can't put any UNC can't put any pressure on him, so he's not rattled. So he looks like an All American back there. And then when that happens, they also have the run game, and it's just you can't stop either. You might as well stop one. And man, that the run game was super had to be super frustrating to try to stop when they were running the the, the two different running backs and his blocking running power and the tight ends in there, and they were going untouched, just kind of to my untrained eye like untouched through the linebackers and forcing a cornerback or safety to try to try to stop him. That was the big issue. Um, cool. All right. Let's kind of put away the actual game of Notre Dame and, and look at broader issues uh, with UNC. First, I want to give Brynn the opportunity to kind of talk about Drake May. We have a quarterback here uh, who started at UNC. Drake, one of the – I think it was Jeff who compared – what you said, Jeff? You, you said Drake I, had the great – the quality. <laughs> Go ahead. He, he's a combo of Bren, of Mitch, of Marquise, Sam Howe. I'm going on record to say he, he's probably going to have the best pro career out of any of those guys. He's, I mean, he's he's super, super talented, and I'll let Bren talk about him. But look, Bren had a, Bren had a hell of an arm. Quise could really run it. Mitch was great on the run. I mean, Mitch had a combination of all those guys. And then Sam, you know, he was that gunslinger, very competitive guy. I think Drake embodies all those guys. So it's like the Brent Renner arm is what Drake has? <laughs> the Brent Renner arm and the looks, you know, they got that quarterback look. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, yeah, exactly. All right, go ahead, Brent. What, what have you seen from Drake May so far in four games? Take the whole four games, what you like, and kind of break it down from a quarterback perspective. I, I completely agree with Jeff. Um, he is by far the most talented quarterback to come through our school in a long, long time. And I mean that in four, in four games, watching him play and seeing him throw up, up close and in person, the velocity he throws the ball with the accuracy that he puts on it. I don't think he has most accurate game against Notre Dame. Um, but I think, you know, that was a lot of just different types of situations that he hasn't been in yet. Um, he's a playmaker with his feet. He's bigger than I thought, you know, seeing him up close in person. I spent some time with him in pregame, um, he's taller, he's, he's athletic, and, and he really does have a, a you know, you see quarterbacks and, and when, they, when they can put the ball in their hands and it comes off their hands really, really clean and smooth, you just see the ball pop out of his hand with the velocity. The best throw he made was, was to Green down the sideline. It was single high. Uh, Green made an inside release, stacked the receiver, and really got back on top. And there was a single high safety. And I was sitting in the blue zone. And I saw that ball, and I said, I don't know if he's going to fit in that window. And he yeah. throws an absolute dart, hits him in stride. I mean, I got goosebumps because it was like that was a professional throw that we saw from a kid that has started at Carolina for four games. We have a, a supreme talented quarterback that we need to protect, and he needs to protect himself because he's going to be playing for a long, long time. And, and saying that, and I'll, and I'll wrap it up with this, Drake, is, is he needs – he needs the opportunity to go play football and, and throw it every single down and, and, and be a complete player because we need to ride him for as long as he's going to be at the university. Jeff, anything to add on that? I agree with all of it. Drake's a stud. If we can hold teams to under 30 points, Drake's going to have a shot at the Heisman. I mean, he's going to throw yeah. – he's on pace for 64 yeah. touchdowns. He threw five versus Notre Dame. Yeah. That play was on the right side, right? Right side, if you're, if you're looking towards yeah. the AFC. Yep, yep. Correct. Uh, yeah. And I thought Green uh, Green had a couple drops early. This is Antoine Green. 
Uh, obviously, his first game back from a collarbone injury on uh, August 6th. He had a couple drops early, but then he became that deep threat that we thought he could be. Then he had two big, uh, deep, you know, plus 60 or 50-yard passes, uh, pass plays, and that's what kind of this offense needed to take the top of a defense. And it, it kind of was there immediately. I mean, you get two big pass plays uh, that he completed, and it, and it obviously made a difference. He went three catches for 150 yards and two touchdowns. It was funny. Josh Downs and Green obviously both missed. Uh, Downs missed three game or two games. Green missed one, or Green missed all four, and they were the uh, the two guys who scored two touchdowns each. So it's good to see Green and Downs back. Okay, this season, Jeff, UNC's three and one. This loss feels very deflating, I think, because Notre Dame came in as this team that got beat by Marshall, obviously got beat by Ohio State, struggled against Cal new quarterback, you know, the offense didn't seem that good. UNC, they the offense looks really good against UNC. It, it was a chance for UNC to take a big win, go to 4-0, a big win for Mac Brown, super deflated. How should that – how should fans feel relative to kind of what's going on in the football program? Like, your thoughts on kind of this season right now, 3-1, and one, Virginia Tech coming up um, next week. So I've been – pretty much a pessimist this whole episode and that's normally not me I'm usually the optimist you know looking forward to you know better things but and I'm gonna and I'm gonna look that way going forward look our defense is not performing well at all they're like 126th ranked in the country and we can only go up from here first of all our offense is performing well if if they're scoring you know 30 plus points per game we should win 10 11 games we just should so our defense will get better as the season goes on. It has to. It really has to. And, and if you look around at the state of the ACC, look at Virginia Tech. Would we rather be Virginia Tech? No. Would you rather lose to Old Dominion, like at Old Dominion? No. You, you know, so Virginia Tech's our next game. Then we have uh, Miami, who just lost to Middle Tennessee State. Would, would As a program, would you rather lose to Middle Tennessee State or Notre Dame? You know, Notre Dame is a really good program, and I know we've lost to them the last three years, but – Look, we're not we're not an elite program. We really aren't. But we we we're a very solid. We can be a very solid ACC team, and we still can go to the ACC championship. It's still out there. We can still win nine, ten games. So stop being so pessimistic, fans. Like there's still a long <laughs> season. We're three and one. We're three and one. Virginia Tech's coming to to our place next week. Go get a win. Four and one. Just just take it step by step. Like did did everyone yeah. expect us to go twelve and zero this year? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of great points. Right? There's there's so many more winnable games. Like, the ACC Coastals is not good. I mean, I think every game on the schedule is winnable. Um, yes. Obviously, entering the season, Notre Dame, Notre Dame on paper was probably the toughest game, right? The game mm-hmm. people expected UNC to lose. Um, to Virginia Tech, Miami, and then Duke, and then another bye week. And then I think it's um, uh, some, some mixture of Pitt, Georgia Tech, um, Virginia's in there, and I think State. I think that closes out. That's four more games. Bryn, if you're if you're the OC, if you're you're Mac Brown, what are you telling your team right now? The morale is probably down a little bit. The, the morale, the defense is down. Drake May maybe a little rattled as well. As a coach, what are you saying to this team in the locker room behind closed doors? Yeah, I think the best coaches I've been around never overreact, right? So let's not overreact and, and understand that this is a community. This is a long, long season. And I think if you focus on yourself getting better each 
practice each game and learning from your mistakes, I think, you know, you can learn from this loss a ton. And I think we're going to be so much better going forward from playing Notre Dame, from learning from these mistakes. I think we're going to be a better team next week and the week after that, and we're going to gradually get better. We have a young team with a young quarterback that has started four games in his career, along with young running backs. We are young and we are fresh. We lost a lot of veteran talent to the NFL. We lost a lot of veteran talent in the entire building. So let's generate some positive, you know, positive energy about who we are going forward with the remainder of the season. There is a ton of football to be left left to play. And you can't overreact as a player. You can't overreact as a coach. And the toughest thing to do, I'm finding out, is to overreact as a fan. Mm-hmm. Look, let's relax. Let's enjoy this. We're three and one. Okay, we didn't have our best showing. Are we going to cry? Are we going to pout? Are we going to commit the same mistakes that we've been committing? Are we going to go tough? Are we going to go be tough and be Carolina and, and, and move forward and let's rock and roll? We have a ton of time left in the ACC and just get better and focus on the small details at practice, at games. Don't listen to the noise and just go to work. Put your hard hat on and go to work. So, Yeah. Jeff, you ready to run through a brick wall after that? I'm ready to run. <laughs> Coach Renner was, came out heavy right there. Yeah, that, was, that was good. That was good. Very, very political, too. Um, and I think one thing is like we have, <laughs> very political. Yeah. We have a great, we have a great quarterback. UNC has a, we have a great quarterback. And I, I think fans are frustrated that Sam Howell was this, the star, you know, all-American type guy. And I think UNC only won eight games in 2020. Uh, 2000, yeah, 2020, you won eight games, went to, the, went to the Orange Bowl. And now we have another great quarterback, Drake May. And there's a sense that UNC is wasting these stellar, you know, once in a, every 10 or 20 years type talent. I think that's what's frustrating to the fan base is that the defense – um, and maybe the offensive line to some extent is kind of is kind of holding this program back from being what they could be because they are recruiting well. Like the talent is great at, at many positions. It just it, they never can take that next step. Is there anything you want to add to that, Bryn? You got it. Go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> I mean, look, I've said it. I said it earlier. I I, I predicted us to win nine games this year. Okay, nine and three. I predicted us to win the first three and lose to Notre Dame. So I'm I feel pretty good about my prediction so far. I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> but what I'd like to see going forward, right? We, so we got Duke, Virginia Tech, Miami. Not in that order, but those are our next three games. Let's win. Obviously, let's win all three. But just show progression as a defense. Our offense. You know, we're going to score thirty plus in each of those games. If we can hold teams under twenty eight points the rest of the year. We will win nine games. And I and I fully believe in Coach Chiswick. Coach Chiswick and Coach Warren were, were phenomenal defensive coaches. They didn't forget how to coach football, I promise you. But we do need to make adjustments. And, and I know no one's no one's harsher on themselves than than the players and the coaches. I promise you guys. All the fans out there, they're like, no, they should be fired. Oh, they should be fired? Then who are we going to hire midseason? Just tell me that. Please, I, I don't understand why coaches get fired midseason. It makes no sense. They've been working with them since January. They know them better than anybody. Are we going to bring in someone off the street? Fan fan A that works in, in insurance, is he going to come in and, and coach these guys? Like, what are we doing? No one should be fired right now. We're going to win nine games this year if our defense can, you know, 
get get the 10 to 10 to 15 points better again. All right. So, yeah, I mean, I think people are, are bringing the heat on Chizik. And I agree that, like, the guy hasn't, doesn't, hasn't lost how to coach. What would you change? Like, what were two things, two or three things that you would, like, Monday morning or Sunday, Monday, change as a defensive coordinator of this defense? Like, what are two, two or three things you would, like, preach? Like, this has to improve. This tweak has to happen. The first thing I'm doing, I'm sitting in the defensive staff with my coaches and say, what are we going to hang our hat on? Right. Is it are we going to sell out to stop the run? Are we going to sell out to play pass coverage? What are we going to do? Are we going to are we going to blitz every snap and just try to knock the quarterback out of the game and put a lot of pressure on him? Like there's got to be one thing that we are successful at. Is it are we going to play great red zone defense? You know, we're going to be that bend don't break defense that that lets them drive the length of the field. But we, we're the best red zone de- defense team in the country. Like I think that's what they got to go in there and fix is. We're not doing one thing. We're just we're below average at everything. So either be great pass defense or a great run defense because we're not doing either well. So would you? They, Jizik likes to bring four. He likes to rush the passer with four. A blitz here and there. Would you like to see more blitzing? Like bring a fifth linebacker because when they brought power, it landed. Like would you want them to bring? You know, what are your thoughts on that? I think we need to. Mix up coverages a little bit more. I I, I want to see our corners pressed. I do want to see our corners pressed because I think they're they're better that way. Just because Brent knows as a quarterback, when you're a quarterback and you get to the line of scrimmage and you see a cornerback playing eight yards off your guy, well, what can the quarterback do right now? He can rise up and throw a quick access throw to the receiver who catches the ball at five yards, and now it's second and five. Mm-hmm. You know, Brent was talking about early early success on first and second down as for our offense. Well, other teams are doing it to us because they're getting, they're putting themselves in favorable positions where it's second and five and then they run the ball. And now it's third and two instead of third and nine. It's so much easier to convert third and two than it is third and nine. It's just simple math. You're right. All right, Bren, if you're the offensive coordinator, you're the quarterback's mm-hmm. coach, you're in that meeting room. What are, you know, two or three things that you want to change on offense, little tweaks, little improvements, to get this offense to the next level and prove things that you think needs improving. I mentioned this earlier, touches to who needs the ball. Um, Josh Downs needs the ball. Um, Drake has to get started early on first and second downs, and then let's establish the running game. Um, and I talk about touches. Those to the fans out there, who needs the ball? We had Geo, and we our first 10 plays of the game Six of them went to Geo because we wanted to get him the ball in space and get him going. So when you have talented guys, let's work on a scheme early in the game, you know, develop some, some, you know, quick passing game to get it to Josh, get the running game started and really just develop some consistency on first and second down and we'll have success. Um, I feel like we live by the three and die by the three right now. And when I say that is if we hit one pass for 80 yards, well, that hurts our defense as well because they were just on the field for 16 plays. And Jeff knows this. Great. It's great you scored. Uh, but I got I got a blow and I got to go back, run down on kickoff or kickoff return and, and go play special teams and do all that. So let's play complimentary football for four quarters and don't worry about a result, please. Who can, like, You can't control most things that happen in the football game, but we can control our effort and our intensity and our toughness. And how tough are we going to play? Coach Renner, let's go. <laughs> hey, I was just thinking- one, one thing I want to add to that um, on the offensive perspective, I, I think, first of all, 
Phil Longo gets gets you know some flack sometimes. I think he's a great offensive mind. He puts up points. He really does. What I would like to see him do is be less predictable at times. You know, if, if you watch our offense and there's a tight end attached to the core, whether he's in an inline position or he's off the off the ball, you know, on the on the offensive tackle's hip, we're either running the ball or we're taking a play action shot. If the tight end is removed from the core, we're throwing the ball. We're, we don't have any runs where the tight end is not attached to the core. So it's I think Notre Dame picked up on that tendency. They were any go watch the game. Anytime the, the tight end was in the core, they were blitzing the hell out of our line, their linebackers, right, to create pressure because they knew that it was either a run or a play action pass. So if it was a run, their linebackers were going downhill and fitting gaps and causing havoc for our offensive line. And if it was a pass, then they were getting pressure on our quarterback because they were all blitzing. So that's just one thing I noticed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, it's kind of funny. You got, you got kind of the politician coach Renner running for like <laughs> governor of Virginia with the white, the white pullover. You got like bad boy, middle linebacker, <laughs> yeah. black t-shirt. You got two contrasting and then like Renner's lighting is like great. And and Schottner's in like this dark cave, like he's like getting ready for a rock concert. So if you're watching on YouTube, it's kind of funny the contrast. That's why, that's why we were great. Look, that's why we had success. We were great teammates. Look, he's a pretty boy quarterback. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You're, you're you're the bad boy linebacker, right? Bad boy. I love yeah. it. <laughs> um, all right, so let's get out of here. Virginia Tech, three thirty kickoff. I mean, look, they had an eight o'clock against Florida A and M, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And then they had a three thirty against Notre Dame. 3.30 against Virginia Tech, like that's what you want as a fan. I'm not, yep. I'm not sure what players and coaches want, but that's ideal tailgating. There might be a, a tropical storm coming up, so there might be some rain. Uh, Jeff, you coached against Virginia Tech last year. I know it's a different team. They have lost. Let's go through a schedule real quick. Uh, they lost to Old Dominion at home 20-17. to 17. They beat Boston College at home 27-10. to 10. Sorry, they lost to Old Dominion at Old Dominion. Um, they then beat Walford 27-7. And they lost to West Virginia 33-10 uh, in Blacksburg. Jeff, have you watched him play at all? Brandon, have you watched him play at all? I know you're a Virginia guy, Brandon. Is there anything that you can nothing, add? To no, nothing sticks out on me. I mean, I'll watch some film with him this week. But, you know, first-year head coach, he's a defensive-minded guy. You know, they, they're, I think their defense looked pretty good. Who they play after ODU? You. Uh, Boston College. Yeah, they looked pretty good versus Boston College, but, you know, got smoked by, you know, a pretty good West Virginia team. But um, I don't know much about them. I know we are way more talented than them. Obviously, you know, all the fans look at recruiting rankings. and But once again, recruiting rankings aren't everything. You know, you got to go out there and play. But I, I expect it to be our best showing of the year defensively. If we, I, we should hold them under 20 points. They don't have an explosive offense. So let's win 41-20. Yeah, I don't think their quarterback is that good. I did look at one mm -hmm. style. I was going to see what their rushing attack was like. They're ranked 110th in the nation in rushing, 112 mm -hmm. yards per game, 3.13 yards per carry. So nothing to write home about um, on the rushing attack. Brent, have you seen them play at all? Yeah, I, I have. And, and uh, you know, I watched them play West Virginia on, I believe it was Thursday night. And, uh, mm -hmm. and so we played against Brent Wells, their quarterback last year, who was at Marshall the previous year. Uh, right. And we and we played against him and, and I was actually coaching DBs and, and he's he's a he's a really good player. And uh, but I think he's missed some opportunities just getting kind of his feet wet in the ACC and playing better competition, to be quite honest with you. 
Um, he missed. He overthrew probably four or five balls in the West Virginia game that I saw. And uh, they really didn't have an identity on offense. Um, so I think they're a very young team with a first-year, first-time head coach. And I think that means a lot. Um, and you look at Nathaniel Hackett and what he did with the Broncos. And, and when you're a first-time head coach, like I said, I've never been a head coach in my entire life. But, um, you know, there's different game management type styles that, that you have to do and, and have to use. Um, so first-year quarterback that just transferred in, I think the receiving core is just okay. I don't think they're overly fast. Uh, and like you said, they, they haven't been able to run the balls and their offense has kind of been their weak, weak part of weak part of their season so far. But, you know, and, and you don't know how they're going to show up in Keenan on a 330 game. But I think we do have the upper hand going into this game. Uh, just looking at it on paper. Must win, Jeff. Must win. Yeah. <laughs> must win. Every week's a must win. Come yeah, on. Must win. It, it's a, I, yeah. It's a, Notre Dame was not a must win. I'm just being honest. It really wasn't. You know, it wasn't a must win. It was a great opportunity to get a big win that Mac needed. Absolutely. But, yeah, so, yeah th- this um, is a must win. Must win. Yeah, I think the wheels might come off uh, just from a fan base standpoint if they were to lose Virginia Tech at home. Uh, guys, this was awesome. It was awesome to have Bryn on. It's our first time doing a, a little three-way here, so bear with us as we work through all that. Uh, Bryn, thanks for coming on. We'll have you back on again at some point, I think. Um, and, of course, Jeff, we appreciate your time. Guys, uh, help out our guys at Blue Shark Vodka if you're going to tailgate this weekend. Blue Shark Vodka, blueSharkVodka.com. Check them out. Thanks for listening, guys. This is calling the shots, which is about inside Carolina. Hey, I got one more thing. I want everyone okay. to everyone out there to know that I'm the better golfer out of Brent and I. Easy. That's not <laughs> true. I just want everyone to know the last couple times we played, I've taken his cash on the course. So check my check stats. Check stats. Hey, maybe, maybe maybe we can Take do a live, live stream the next time we play and, and everyone can v- vote on who they want to win so or who they think will win. We there you go. That. Uh, Take a all right, appreciate it, guys. Yeah. Thanks Later. for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys.